Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. I'm recording this on the 4th of January, so Happy New Year to everyone whose new calendar years began in January. I've been reflecting on 2019 and thinking about priorities for 2020, what we can do to help startups and small businesses to benefit from circular strategies. In today's episode, we talk to Eve Keke, the founder of Bundly, the UK's first baby clothing rental subscription. Eve started Bundly to give parents a sustainable alternative to buying clothes that will be quickly outgrown. With Bundly, parents can rent their baby's wardrobe and swap clothes for the next size up whenever they like. Outgrown clothes are professionally cleaned before being sent to the next family. Bundly was selected to join the Centre for Fashion Enterprises FashTech Pioneer Programme is currently on the Climate KRC Accelerator and was recently featured in The Guardian. We find out how Eve researched the problems associated with baby wear, hear about some surprising barriers she had to overcome and discuss the advantages of the rental and subscription business model for the business and its customers. So good morning Eve and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And where are you talking to us from today? So I'm talking to you guys from London. Um, we're now based as a business in London. Great stuff. So you've got, um, you've got to the stage of having premises and everything? Yeah, we're actually, um, we work out of a place called Sustainable Workspaces, which is meant to be the most sustainable workspace um, in London. And it's great because it's got a lot of different businesses who are all trying to tackle like a common problem. Great stuff. Um, and maybe we can put a link to that in the show notes. Mm. Sounds good. So perhaps we can start by asking you how you came up with the idea and, and got started. Yeah, so Bundley is the UK's first baby clothing rental subscription. Um, I'm the eldest in my family, so there's quite a big age gap between me and my younger siblings. It's like 18 year gap. So as I was a teenager, I was suddenly surrounded by all of these baby products. And I was thinking to myself, like, how can such a small person <laughs> lead to so much stuff? Um, so I think that was always in the back of my head. Um, and then I had the idea for Bundly and it just made a lot of sense to me um, to rent baby clothes rather than buy them when babies are out wearing clothes so, so quickly. Um, and it's causing so much clothing waste. It just didn't really make much sense to be buying them. Um, the rental model has kind of grown in popularity, like especially over the last year, um, but it was 
pioneered um, in the US by Rent the Runway, who do women's mm. wear rental. Um, and I'd actually spent a year living in the US. So I'd rented dresses from them. And to me, that quite normalized the concept of rental. So when I had this idea, I was like, this just needs to be a thing. <laughs> so was it was it that that inspired you or were you um, coming across things about the circular economy anyway? I think it was a combination of everything. I was doing my master's um, and it was a master's in enterprise where you basically research a problem and try and come up with a solution to it. Um, so I was researching around this whole idea of baby clothing waste um, because they outgrow seven clothing sizes in their first two years, which just leads to so, so much waste. And I think quite often when we talk about the problem of fast fashion, um, the conversation is normally around just women's wear. Um, but we forget this whole area of baby and kids clothes where it's fast fashion because they are actually growing out of the clothes fast. Um, so yeah, I set about to solve that problem um, and it just seemed the most logical option to have this rental model running. Yeah, so I yeah. suppose it means that people can, you know, delay the purchase or not purchase, just kind of choose what they need instead of worrying about getting ahead. Um, you, can, yeah. you, know, you can you can quickly have your three months three month old next set of things yeah um, that's the thing without the worry of you know I don't want to be shopping when I've got a naught to three month old baby exactly like the hassle of even just getting out the house when you've got a baby at that age and then to actually go through the nightmare of going through a crowded shop with a baby in a pram like it's just not a fun situation um, so yeah that's definitely another problem that this solves it's just a more convenient option so they know that they can always have the right clothes at the right time um, and when the clothes are outgrown they simply return them to us and swap them to the next size up um, so it's great because it's also growing at the baby's own rate of growth um, because even though in children's sizes it is like not three months three to six months six to nine months you get some three month old already in the nine month clothes um, so that's why it's so great that it can grow at pace with them so with your masters in enterprise then you must have been very well equipped to do a business startup so how did how did that shape up you know did you do a lot of customer research and what 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 did you bring across from the degree that has helped with the startup yeah so the degree was like a research-based degree um so I spent a lot of time talking with parents um I actually surveyed like over 500 parents to get their perspectives on this because that was really important to me to know like what are going to be the challenges that we're going to have to overcome as a business like what are the bits that people are less inclined to want to do um and which bits um do they see as a real benefit to them so that was really interesting because of course, the benefit of sustainability came out, the benefit of convenience and also the access to like quality clothes at a more affordable price through renting. Um, and that's why I think renting is such a great model because not it doesn't just have sustainability as a benefit. It has all these other benefits which make the rental model better, in my opinion, than buying. And. Mm. Um, and then also I like learned about their objections. So I guess the main one is the hygiene factor. People are like, oh, like if clothes have been on the floor, like is that unhygienic? Are they gonna have stains on them? Um, so that was something as a business so, like we really needed to communicate about how we do sanitize clothes in between like washes, um, sorry, in between wearers. Um, we do professionally clean clothes and we do quality control them to make sure like no clothes arrive with stains on. Um, so yeah. It was mainly researching, talking to lots of people, getting some expert opinions on it as well, which was really, yeah, it was just a cool year. 
because you rarely get the opportunity to spend a year researching a business idea you have and getting like obsessed with it. Um, so that was great. And then I went on to start the business with a pilot um, because even though I had this research, it was really important for me to see like how this would actually work in real life and whether the clothes are going to be returned completely destroyed <laughs> with like poo and food <laughs> all over them. And the good thing was they were actually returned in great quality and it really gave me um, the encouragement to actually start the business. So what, what size was the pilot? How many families? It was just with eight families um, and they actually joined as paying customers. So they themselves didn't know that they were part of the pilot, um, which was quite important to me because I wanted them to have high expectations from us. And um, yeah, and the feedback was just great. And like a lot of the families are still with us now. Um, and it's been nice because they started with us. They actually pre-ordered um, whilst they're still pregnant. Um, and that, so we've kind of seen their baby born and then learning to like crawl and then learning to stand up and walking. So it's quite nice to go through that journey with them. Yeah, sounds great. So this thing about not letting them know or making them paying customers so they didn't know they were part of a pilot, was that something yeah. that came from the degree in terms of the the veracity of the of the experience and, you know, avoiding people telling you what they think you want to hear instead of yeah. what they really think? Probably, it probably did without me realising it came from the degree. Um, like a main part of the degree was this idea of um, launching with an MVP, like your minimum mm. viable product. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's probably why I chose to do this pilot. And it wasn't anywhere near up to the standard that I would have liked to launch with. Um, but I just realised I have to get it out into the market and actually get customer feedback first before I go to the next step. Mm. So I literally would go round the shops, like round sales, and pick up the different items I'd need to create these capsule wardrobes and then rent them out to families. So I was doing it in the kind of lowest cost way to do it, um, to test out the idea and see if it was viable. So how long did that pilot go on for? Um, that was like a six month pilot. So it was like two rounds of rentals. Um, but it then the customers continued with us after that period. Right. And then you scaled up to the next level. And what did that involve? Did you have to get funding? How, how did you yeah. get to that next stage? Yeah, so um, I hate using the word luck, but I do feel like I have been quite lucky. <laughs> so I have been quite lucky in that um, I've won some funding through competitions. Um, so my university had a, co a business competition. And I run, won the social enterprise sector of that. So we got some money through that, which was very, very nice. Um, and I've also been awarded some grant funding as well, um, which, again, is so, so great. Um, and we're kind of just going through the process of like raising investment now. So it meant at the beginning of the business, we were solely funded um, through what I like to call free money, <laughs> um, where they're not taking any equity, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah, we used that for the next stage, which was to produce our own range of clothes. Um, so it was really important to us that we have like durable clothes that are going to be long lasting um, and also in styles that a lot of people are going to like because we are curating the clothes for them. We need to make sure they like all the colours. It's really easy for them to mix and match. The clothes are super soft, even after they've been worn by a few babies. Um, so we work with an ethical factory in the UK to produce the range of clothes um, and the funding that we got allowed us to actually do that. Right. So that's going quite a long way, isn't it? Producing your own clothes. Um, yeah. And was that something that you had in mind from the beginning or was that something that 
became clear as you started to try and reuse what was already out in the market? Mm-hmm. I think like from the beginning I had assumed that we'd buy at wholesale um, and like buy from different brands um, but during the pilot phase I kind of realized that the quality of the clothes out on high street um, and that different brands have at the moment is not very high for baby clothing because they expect that these clothes are only going to be worn a few times over a few months um, so they kind of don't have any incentive to produce long-lasting clothes so that's why I had to go about making our own range it wasn't actually something I initially had wanted to do um, but it turned out quite good to do it that way um, in the future though um, we do want to next year start working with brands again and um, and also work with them to help develop better quality clothes that are going to last throughout the rental process. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and it kind of fits with the way a lot of the other fashion markets are going, you know, apart from mm. the the top end stuff, mm. which now has its own kind of resale markets and even the bigger brands are participating in that, realising that it's better to, to be able to to prove the authenticity of something than have it yeah. in an uncontrolled resale market on eBay or something where they're not yeah. quite sure if, you know, pe- people are buying things, they might think it's real, but actually it's not. And then it doesn't, it doesn't last well or it's not good quality. Yeah. Yeah. The real, real in the U S seems to be doing that amazing yeah. with the authenticating stuff. Yeah. And I think I was listening to um, another podcast and um, I can't remember which brand it was now, but one of the big brands was starting to um, curate their own. But I think I think it was through Stuffster or something like that mm-hmm. that was doing all the logistics and the and the kind of um, e-commerce side of things for them. But they yeah. were getting involved in helping determine whether something was real. And I know they're mm-hmm. looking. The fashion brands are looking at various types of tags and RFID and things like that to mm-hmm. see if they can um, authenticate it. But of course the problems are cleaning and washing and, and so on that. Yeah. You know, how, do you, how do you make something fit for going through several wash cycles? Yeah. So in it's ter- definitely going to be a learning process. Like as the industry changes, like yeah. going to move towards these more durable products and yeah, it's going to be a learning process for everyone. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, a lot of the brands have really missed out. And when Mothercare in the UK filed for um, bankruptcy a few weeks ago, I did a blog to, to say, you know, why didn't they think about subscription models for all the mm-hmm. uh, the push chairs, car seats, all those kind of things that people have to spend a lot of money on. And yet they don't last that long, really. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. children grow out of pushchairs and that kind of yeah. thing. You know, again, in, in my day, it was it was probably a, a one-size pushchair and car seats didn't even exist. But my, <laughs> my sisters who were born in the in the 70s, I'm sure it, they only had one car seat, you know, for their naught to three years or whatever. But now yeah. it's all different different sizes, isn't it? So mm-hmm. the, the cost involved in that for a for a family is just terrific and if mother yeah. care had done that kind of thing and for maternity wear then you know maybe they'd still be still be going yeah it just it just seems that um a lot of the bigger brands are not really getting it with the circular economy yeah. and they're leaving themselves open to disruption from startups just like bundley definitely and for like these incumbent brands it's 
because they just have the logistics process of like sending products out they're just like traditional like e-commerce or like brick and mortar stores I think for them working out like the reverse logistics of doing um a rental subscription model is like a really challenging part um so I think that's definitely kind of a barrier for them to do it Mm. and what learnings have you had from reverse logistics and that kind of thing I mean I guess you're still having some issues where the baby's not quite the size the parents thought it was or or something you know how how are you dealing with with those kind of feedbacks and yeah and returns yeah so I mean for us like returns is a normal part of the subscription model like um and it's part we need to make as simple as possible because people need to return the clothes to get the next size up um, so we offer free returns um, with all rentals and people can literally just drop the clothes off at a post office, any post office that's nearest to them. Um, and then we get a notification from the post office and then we send out the next size up. So there's just a couple of days in between um, them returning them the clothes and getting their next capsule wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, it's going to be about learning how can we make that even faster? Like, is it possible to do it in one day? I don't know yet, <laughs> but maybe it is. Um, we've also we started off doing everything in-house um so like packing the clothes and sending them out and like unpacking returned clothes quality controlling them sending them to laundry getting them back in like quality controlling them again so there's a lot of processes and it was like a very time-consuming process and but we've more recently partnered um, with a fulfillment centre who have the expertise to do clothing rental and they have laundry on site. Um, and that's an absolute game changer for us. Um, right. Yeah. So are they working with other fashion rental companies then? Is this kind of a, a, yeah. new, a new kind of um, service provider niche? And mm-hmm. um, they've actually been around for like decades, but they've always focused on men's suit hire. Um okay. Yeah, and now they're realising, oh, there's all these other clothing rental services popping up. So they've started working with a few of the women's wear ones um, and then we're their baby clothing brand. Brilliant. So mm-hmm. what's what's the next stage then for, for Bundley? Is it is it about um, funding a scaling up or what, what's next? Yeah, there's a lot coming up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in 2020, we'll be looking at raising some funding um, to allow us to actually do more marketing. Because at the moment, it's mainly been growing organically just through like word of mouth. Um, that's a great thing about this model being so new is that people talk about it when they hear about it, which is amazing. So, like, I feel like the parents we have renting, they're not like, I don't know how to say this, they're not like constantly concerned about it. They're like, they literally love it and they want to tell everyone that they're doing this, which has been great for us as a business. But the next stage will be to do some marketing, to raise awareness. Um, and I just want all parents across the UK to know that this is an option available to them now. Um, we're also going to be testing out working with different brands. Um, so we've received some grant funding um, because it's like an innovative project. Um, so we're going to test out different branded clothes and see what which brands are most suitable to the rental model and which brands like customers really love to rent um and that's going to be fun because it's going to mean that we can test out lots of different garments that we haven't put on the rental model before and um, so it's going to be exciting to see like 
which items people really, really want to rent. Um, and then we'll also be looking to extend um, the age range as well. So currently we go from 0 to 24 months, which is when a baby's growing their fastest, like literally outgrowing seven clothing sizes. Um, but we want to test out clothes for toddlers um, and see how that works with the model. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on. And I feel with the rental model, there's so much you can do. So sometimes I feel like I have to rein myself in and be like, okay, this is what we're going to focus on for this quarter. Um, but I'm just so excited to see where the rental model is going to go, especially as these women's wear and men's wear rental services um, become more popular. Once a mum or dad has tried out renting clothes from themselves, they're going to be even more inclined to rent for their baby. So, yeah, I'm excited to see where the industry goes. Yeah, or the, or the other way around, I guess. You know, starting mm. off with the rental on the basis that, you know, the baby's going to grow in, you know, seven sizes. So it yeah. makes absolute sense. And then thinking, well, this works really well you know what else could I do it for you know for my yeah. clothes or whatever so there's there's yeah. a lot of potential to really make normalize it I think instead of it being something that's that's just in a specific niche and it, in terms of the word of mouth marketing what mm-hmm. kind of things are people saying you know is it about the ease of doing it um, and the convenience is it about the sustainability what you know what kind of feedback are, are yeah. people passing on I think when parents have a little one, um, they're, they're thinking more about the future their child's going to grow into, um, and they're always looking for like sustainable solutions, but they need those solutions to actually be convenient as well, because mm. it's at a time where they've got a lot going on in their lives. Um, so yeah, people do tend to say, look, look, this is such a cool concept because it is sustainable, but it's also really easy and convenient to do, um, and they love the quality of the clothes that they're able to get as well, um, because free rental, you can get better quality clothes at more affordable price and buying mm. um so yeah there's lots of benefits but i think it definitely is that easy sustainability that they love the most mm. brilliant well i think that's really encouraging that people are actually putting that at the at the forefront of their minds mm-hmm. and then the fact that it's better quality and it's more cost effective you know that's that's a kind of triple win isn't it triple bottom yeah, line exactly. thing for the family um, <laughs> which i think is and i think at the moment, you know, there's a lot of despondency with all the bad news that we're getting on um, the extent of climate change. And mm-hmm. just in the, um, you know, I just submitted the manuscript this morning for the second edition of my book. So I was writing the first one in 2016. Yeah. And well, it, thank you. It, <laughs> it, it turned into a, a sort of a major, major project because mm. so much has happened. And so many of the examples that I was putting in the first book where I was, you know, really having to do a lot of research to find some things. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's a case of, you know, which are the best examples because I've got so many. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is really exciting. But I think also for, you know, for every, everyday conversations and what's front of people's minds, in the introduction to the first edition, I felt I had to say quite a lot about the issues that business was facing and, you know, climate Mm -hmm. and so on to kind of, you know, point people towards this is serious. Whereas now we're seeing the evidence, we're hearing it every day on the news, you know, the the wildfires um, in Australia, they were talking on the news this morning about how, um, you know, their government are just still denying climate change and, Mm people now are getting really angry about that and saying you know how can how can you possibly deny it it's here yeah. right in front of your nose you know it's, it's destroying our 
homes and and uh, livelihoods. So I think that's you know that that's quite difficult for people to deal with because it does feel so hard to do something meaningful about it. But then once you start to make just small changes mm-hmm. like renting baby clothes, the the feel good factor from that of feeling that you know you've you've started to make a small contribution here it then empowers you to think well what else can I do and what else can I do and getting into this positive mindset of looking for small solutions that you can do today and you can tell everybody about and it makes you feel more uh, hopeful and more energized really to you know to look for more things to do and to and to realize that we can all make lots of small differences that starts to head us back in the right direction definitely I'm 100% with you there I think it's quite easy to feel overwhelmed because we are facing such a big crisis but actually there's billions of people on the earth if we're all making these little changes like it can have a big impact and I think people feel like they have to live perfectly like they have to do say uh, into zero waste they have to do it perfectly but actually we need billions of people to do it kind of imperfectly and just be making these little changes um and that's going to have a bigger impact yeah i agree and and um and it's great that um you know bundley's helping lots of people get excited about that and that they're sharing that news with with lots of other people Um, yeah so um so yeah i think you know, there's lots, lots of scope to go in different directions and, and scale the business up and, and uh, yeah. you know, encourage people to take different, more sustainable choices. Mm-hmm. So from the learning so far, Eve, what would be your top tip for somebody wanting to start their own circular economy business? Um, I'd say focus on the value you're providing customers beyond the sustainability Um, because for someone to make that sustainable switch, I feel like there tends to need to be some additional value provided. So for us, it's like the fact that it is convenient as well, and they are getting those good quality clothes as well. Um, So I think, yeah, definitely think about what are those add-on benefits to the sustainability that your new circular model can offer. Yes, I agree. And I think all the surveys still say that although people might have sustainable choices at the front of their purchasing decisions they still expect the manufacturers and the retailers to be able to do that at the same value for money Um, yeah they don't see why they should have to pay more for um, ethically sourced um, products Mm. you know they they should just be doing that anyway so why why should i have to pay more Mm. Um, so i think that's you know that's that's great advice to really focus on what's the business case not just for the business, but for the for the buyer, um, exactly. you know, whether that's a consumer or another business. How do mm-hmm. you wrap up all all the different elements that can help them convince their sceptical partner or sceptical yeah. finance director yeah. or whatever it is? Um, and there are you know just lots of advantages to it. And I think often mm-hmm. businesses that focus on or business if it's a business decision often they see a more sustainable choice as something that's just a tick box exercise for their corporate Mm. uh, sustainability report. Whereas really it can add lots of value in all sorts of areas of the business. And it's about thinking through those and thinking about, you know, what does this help us with? Does it help us do our own marketing because now we've made a, a better choice? 
But rather than that just sitting in a report, how can we use that with customers so that they feel better about the choices they're making to buy mm-hmm. from us? Mm-hmm. And that's where there's so much room for new like circular startups to come in um, and disrupt um, because they are able to make these changes quicker. Um, but also they are quite normally quite good at communicating like how what they're doing is different to customers um, and that can lead to like really really loyal customers as well because if they share your same values and they know that you're not just like greenwashing like you actually have these values like at the core of your business um, it can build such good relationships with customers. Yeah that's a great point and I think that's one that that um, a lot of the big corporates are missing at the moment you know they might mm. talk about values but how they really embed that across the whole of the business when they might not have been working in that way in the previous few years or or decades or whatever. You know, it's like turning a super tanker, isn't it? And one of the exciting things that that struck me really early on when I started collecting circular economy case studies, so I've now got over 600 and, you know, way way more that are parked in my inbox, you know, that I haven't had time to catalogue. But the exciting thing is just how many of those are startups and small businesses. Mm-hmm. So to me, that proves that you don't need a big R&D budget to be testing this out. And mm-hmm. the circular economy, as you're finding, can create a really viable business. Yeah. And that's what we need, the, you know, the big brands, the super tankers to start getting their heads around that if they don't move quickly, they'll either be disrupted um, or, you know, they'll cease to be relevant. Um, yeah because yeah. Pe- people are just going in different directions and it needs to be authentic as well like from a like customer point of view if you see these big brands changing their actions in a couple of years time when it is too late it won't look authentic you'll, you'll mm. realize like oh they're just doing this to kind of now take up on these startups who've been disrupting them and um, so that's why they really do need to move now if they want to stand a chance yeah and I think certainly in fashion I'm I'm still seeing lots of um let's not say greenwash because that might <laughs> that might be um uh libelous <laughs> but uh as as uh Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia once said random mm-hmm. acts of greenness and you, and you see see statements about um you know all our um all our clothing is going to be sustainable made made from sustainable fabrics by this date and that sounds great. And then, you you know, if you're me and you want to kind of know, well, what does that mean? And, yeah. and you know, how are they going to measure that sustainability? And then you go and look at the report and it just talks about, you know, from renewable or recycled sources. And it's, you know, uh, with a high percentage from re- renewable or recycled. Sources. Yeah, but even, even renewable sources are not sustainable, you know, cotton. Oh the way it's farmed mm. now is not sustainable with its water mm. footprint and pesticide use and all the rest of it. So yeah. just being renewable isn't enough. It's got to be renewable and not displacing food crops and not yeah. using up water that is needed by local communities, not mm. discharging pesticides into the soil, water, atmosphere, yeah. the whole lot. You know, there's a lot more to it than just saying, you know, renewable tick box. Yeah. There needs to be some kind of like advertising standards on using mm. terms like sustainable conscious I think conscious is everyone's favorites now because it doesn't really mean anything as a word it can mean yeah. what you want it yeah. to mean yeah. um I feel yeah. like in the future there definitely needs to be some kind of actual definition that they have to stand by if they're going to use these terms yeah I agree uh, you know a bit like organic 
um, where there are yeah. defined defined standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst there's the Better Cotton initiative, again, it's about doing a bit less bad. It's it's mm-hmm. not really about making it properly sustainable so that it could continue for generations in the same yeah. in the same system. Brilliant. So, Eve, do you have a, a a recommended guest? Is there another circular economy business that you really like that you think we should we should uh, interview for the podcast? I've got a few recommendations. Um, so these are all people who are kind of innovating in the women's wear space. Um, this slightly just for my own personal gain because I want to hear from them and hear what they have to say on this podcast um, but there's like a women's rare event service called Higher Street run by Isabella West um, he'd be really interesting to hear from um, because they're kind of coming in for women's wear rental they're a bit more at an economical price than some other mm-hmm. brands are doing it at um, so I feel like they have the potential to really take on these like big fast fashion um, companies um, there's also Ashita from BioRotation um, who are doing um, peer-to-peer lending um, so that would be really interesting and there's also Ashton from um, the new wardrobe um, and they're a sharing platform um, so they're a bit different than the rental services because you pay a fee to join their membership, but then you can share with people in your local community um, or your clothes. So I'd love to hear from any of those three. Brilliant. Well, they, they sound good. And I've heard of High Street and uh, I think New Wardrobe, heard both of those mm-hmm. recently. Um, probably yeah. on the, um, the BBC have been doing quite a bit on you and yours about sustainable choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I've not heard about biorotation. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'll look all of those up, and and uh, okay. hopefully we'll we'll get them on a future episode. That'd be great. <laughs> Eve, if people want to find out more about Bundley and find out more about you, how can they get in touch? So, if you want to learn more about renting and um, with Bundley, just go to bundley.co.uk. So that's bundle with an extra e at the end. Co.uk, um, or you can find us at Bundley Baby on social media. Um, definitely give us a follow on Instagram. Brilliant, and we'll put that, those links in the show notes, and we'll also try and track down sustainable workspaces and the uh, the guests that you recommended, and put those links in the show notes as well. Lovely, amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your story with us and wish you lots of luck in the next phase of the business. I'm sure it'll go from strength to strength. I think you've got some great ideas. And, um, you know, as we've been saying, everybody is getting more interested in making sustainable choices and this combination of sustainable choices that are better value for money and better quality. Mm-hmm. Really, really <laughs> well, thank you like so, so much for having me on. It's been great to chat about this whole space because it's just so exciting for what's going to come in the future. Yeah, I agree. Lots to look forward to. Thanks, yeah. Eve. What I loved about that conversation were the brilliant insights for getting started with circular strategies, including exploring the problem from your customer's perspective, doing a small-scale pilot, and that when your values align with your customers, it means they turn into supporters, rewarding you with useful feedback, loyalty, and valuable word-of-mouth marketing. I'm going to explore that in more detail in my next blog, in early January. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info, Or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, 
including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.